Alright. Alright guys, so this is if you're tuning into this video, uh, we're doing a LibFit trainer education session. Uh, today's one is about programming. So Zach, you can say hi. Hello, I'm here as well. Yeah, Zach is also here. Yeah, it's not just me talking by myself. Yeah. Alright, um, cool. So first question about programming, what was it? Um, just about different rep ranges yeah. and sort of when to program in certain rep ranges and then the benefits each one has, I guess. Cool, man. Um, so the main thing you'll look at is obviously like, what is the client's goal? And it's going to depend on that goal and also training age. Yeah. And not just training age, but training skill. Because at the end of the day, it's just skill. So yeah. one of the reasons why we'll do multiple reps is so they can uh, it like really reinforce that skill of that exercise. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the more skill they have, uh, if they've got more strength goal, then the less reps they're gonna do. Yeah, yeah. So that's one thing to look at. So not just training age, but also looking at what, um, how well they do that movement. Because you know you can get someone that's been training for 10 years and they do 10 reps of shit. You yeah. get someone that's training for a year, who's been taught really well, and they do a rep really well. They do one rep yeah. really well, 10 reps ridiculously well. Yeah. So again, it comes down to the goal. So if you look at the goals, you know, the basic run through is if you've got a hypertrophy goal, the reps are going to be higher. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, between that hypertrophy range of 10 to 15 reps. Um, and then looking at strength goals in, in below five. Um, if you're looking for that hypertrophy, strength hypertrophy mid range, then you're looking between, between six to 10, right? So, again, yeah. Some people argue less and more, but there's no real hard and fast rule because even as a strength athlete, you know um, yourself yeah. that if you do 20 reps on, say, bench press, for example, if you have a 20 rep set, you're trying to do every single rep, like you're trying to groove the patterns. A lot of the time, especially again for when you're trying to get these lifts like to the T point, yeah. you're trying to get every single rep identical. So regardless yeah, of the weight yeah. of the bar, where it's heavier or lighter, you're doing 15 reps in one rep, it looks identical. Like yeah. the difference really should be vastly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, uh, would you almost, but also, because I know with my training a bit is you obviously have your strength for those lifts that you want to get stronger at, but then your accessory work and stuff you can have in that like hypertrophy rep range because you still need to build that muscle because obviously yeah. the muscle. Yeah, this is a good point. Like, like as a majority rule, so you got the majority minority rule. So majority rule, uh, the bigger the muscle group or the, the, the higher load you're using on that lift, so let's say a barbell squat or a deadlift. So, yeah. you know, 200 kilos on that lift is gonna hit a lot differently compared to a five kilo or 10 kilo bicep curl, right? Yeah, yeah. So the, the amount of load on the muscle and central nervous system also has to be taken into account without overcomplicating it. You gotta look at how much weight is that person lifting in that rep range. Uh, yeah. Say for example, you, get, you know, um, when you've got those compound lifts, it's gonna be a lot more neural central nervous yeah, system. Yeah recruitment compared yep. to your muscle load. So again, you gotta look at that as well as a- Yeah, definitely, thing. yeah. Cool. And yeah, going back to the load and realizing that how much that person is lifting um, is gonna impact their recovery as well. So a good rep range to start with, and again, this is going more towards the minority, less to the majority, is if you look at that rep range and you go, all right, so I'm giving this person 10 reps and the total volume of that, so doing 100 kilos, is gonna be X amount of, yeah, yeah. 10 pounds, whatever it is, uh, 1,000 yeah. kilograms in a set. Um, and you're doing five sets, it's 5,000 kilograms. 
again, it's not something that I, I program a lot with in ways of looking at total load, but it's something to be aware of when programming too, is like how much does that kind of tax that person's central nervous system? Yeah. Because then you got to look at the recovery as well. So again, that's probably more advanced stuff, but the basics of it with programming and different reps and sets is for all beginners, I run them through a general range of 12 to 15 to 20, so 12 to 20 reps, depending on the type of exercise. So yeah. why, again, why I do that? I'm just trying to get them to learn the skill of that exercise really, really well. Yeah. Like, and again, gender as well plays a role. So if you get a guy um, doing reps on his deadlift, he's gonna be pretty, he's gonna be, usually, you know, he's a trained male, um, he's just come to you, he's been trained for a few years and got pretty good skill lifting. Five reps on his deadlifts is gonna, like, fuck it. Yeah. It's gonna be a lot, right? So he's gonna be doing a lot of load. Where you get a female who's been trained for a few years, five reps on the deadlifts generally won't be enough. Like they won't feel yeah. like, like unless I've got a specific powerlifting goal, they probably feel like five reps is doing fuck all for them. Yeah, so yeah. that's another thing you look at too is goals. So when we look at goals, most people will come to you with a set amount of things uh, wrong with them. So most people have some sort of structural balance issue. Yeah. Um, and when you look at structural balance issues, it's, it's usually a weakness of the smaller muscle groups. Yeah. Um, so say for example, if it's, uh, well, let's use a common one. So common one would be weakness through the hamstrings causing um, tight hip flexors or weak hip flexors uh, and weak hamstrings, which is not uncommon. So when you look at that, right, is you want them to be able to learn, if you gave them a set and it was only six to eight reps on a hamstring curl, they'd probably feel fuck off for the first eight reps. Yeah. But if you gave them like 10 to 15 reps, they'd probably like, just get that movement right, then the last five reps will probably start feeling. So that's another thing you take into account too. It's like, if someone is a real beginner and they're only doing X amount of reps, um, how many of those reps will actually get in that quality muscle contraction yeah, compared okay. to a strength athlete where if you said, all right, we've got three sets of 15 on barbell squats, they can feel every fucking rep. Because yeah. that muscle mind connection is there, right? So yeah. two different people can benefit completely different from different rep ranges. So yeah. I suppose the gist of it, there's no real right or wrong. But yeah, okay. as a general rule, I always start the high ranges regardless of someone's capabilities as a, as a safety net to iron out any weak points. And again, most people have similar weak points. Yeah. Most people got, you know, they might have um, trap dominant, they might be internally rotated for the shoulders, so weak rhomboids and unable to activate their lats very well. Um, most people have weak uh, lower abdominal muscles, especially on the pubis bone. So if you look at like we uh, pretty much where your junk sits just above that, most people don't know how to contract that heart. Yeah. Um, they're like, what the fuck is that muscle there? It's actually your abdominals run all the way down there, right? So, and that has a major role in playing with um, hip, uh, hip, posterior anterior tilt. Yeah, tilt, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so to pull yourself in the posterior tilt, you need to be able to contract the lower abdominals, and you also need to be able to contract the glutes. Yeah. Most people don't know how to do that, as a general rule. Um, you get some chick that comes in and she's been hip thrusting for like 10 years straight and she's probably going to know how to do it. Yeah. Most guys wouldn't have a fucking clue how to, how to do that properly. Yeah. But <laughs> I actually have a general rule for that too. Is, uh, most guys who don't get laid often really struggle with that. Guys yeah. who get laid often, they're pretty good Probably. at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like anterior tilt all day. Anterior tilt. Um, cool. All right. Does that kind of cover the, that question? Yeah. 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 No, that's... um. Yeah, that covers it all pretty much. I was just, yeah, getting a bit more of an idea. So obviously I had an idea of the rep range is what they do. I yeah. was wondering if there's any... Yeah, yeah, like, um, again, no hard and fast rule because, and like, when you're looking at progressing someone for a rep range, that's where I'll start off. Um, so 
again, it depends, it's always going to depend, but it would depend on how long you would plan on running a program for. Yeah. So, so I'll just go back to the question. So, when to program different rep ranges and benefits and train strength performance type perch fee. Cool. So, this can also depend on goal, so sports specific goals. So if your goal is powerlifting, obviously you want to take them from where their start point is down to those singles. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, that is the goal. So you need to get them in a position where they're lifting the singles really fucking well. And if that means starting at a higher rep range so they can practice that lift every single rep and get it correctly, then you go for that. Or if, again, we're talking about um, specifics on competitions or events, uh, like a strongman event, yeah. where they've got to do um, max, you know, 200 kilo squat, max reps in 60 seconds. Mm. So program for a heavy one rep max wouldn't help them at all. They need that strength endurance. They need to be practicing doing one minute straight sets um, yeah. at high weight too and high volume. Yeah. Um, and then also looking at, because if you look at the competitions too, a lot of competitions go all day. Um, yeah. So like a powerlifting event might go for, you know, four or five hours you're there for, before you finish your lifts, or yeah. maybe even longer. And same with strongman, you could be there for 10 hours. Um, once you get four or five events. So you've got to be able to look at that in ways of how you program as well. Um, and then you look at other sports too. It's like, if you're looking at sports, that might be say for example basketball, or rugby, anything where it's very performance based and you're using that explosiveness and power as well as uh, endurance, yeah. um, especially cardiovascular endurance, you'll look at how you program towards that as well. So those, those all come into play. That's, that's a big part of our strength and conditioning. Yeah, okay. Um, so for something like strength endurance, yeah. would you just, would that be more of a time um, that we'd use for like, rather than reps, would you use like time under tension sort of thing? Or you can, like I'm a big one for that, so I like going, alright cool, so you got 70% for a minute straight. Yeah, okay. And it's like cool, so you build up to that 70% mark, and then you go for a minute. As many, like do an rep for a minute, with good form. And yeah. again, it's, it comes down to, you wouldn't give that to a beginner, yeah. But if you give it to an experienced athlete and say to them, uh, when you program, it's like as many good reps as you can at the speed, the best you can control the weight. So you wouldn't do it balls to the wall yeah. fast yeah. and then throw the bar and back yeah. and find yourself. So you gotta, you gotta take that into consideration as well. Yeah. But yeah, as a general rule, you just gotta look at when programming, what is a person's goal? And if we look at personal training, right, most people's goals come in, get stronger, bit of muscle, lose a bit of body fat. Yeah. So we all know that high rep range is going to make you sweat more. Yeah. So hitting those high rep ranges is going to help you in that regard. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And not saying that you can't hypertrophize off lower reps because you'll notice two different athletes with different muscle fiber types. So generally someone who's a long or long distance runner or swimmer is going to respond better to high volume. So they yeah. can probably handle up to 20 or 30 rep sets. Like yeah. fucking all day and all of it. Um, where someone who's very fast twitch really struggle to get that. Like it make them make them piss with a probably really struggle to recover from it due to the sentiment is load going into it. Yeah, okay. So like that they'd probably struggle with that endurance, they'd maybe do like one or two 20 or 30 rep sets and then just after that struggle to get like twelve or something. Yeah, exactly. Like their recovery will drop off so fast. Yeah. And you know, it is a different energy system. So you're the anaerobic and aerobic systems as well. So which one is being um, utilized more? Yeah. Um, and again Looking at goal, what is the goal of the client? Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Cool. Cool, man. That makes sense on that one? Yep. Awesome. Programming rest times and when you vary them in training. Sweet. 
depend on goal. Again, like a lot of it always depend on goal, but let's use an example of someone who comes to you, they want to lose a bit of body fat, they want to get stronger, they want to look better. Um, it's probably most general clients' goals. Um, keeping rest periods shorter to help them build that strength endurance, regard, actually regardless of athlete, so it's probably a, just a basic rule I had is I'll yeah. push rest periods very short and intensity very high to start with. So yeah. if, I, if I look at the base program I've used, um, it would be six to eight exercises, uh, four sets of each, 15 reps as a basic break. So, and I'd keep rest periods at 45 seconds each. Yeah. Um, between each set as a base, again, base. Uh, reason for that is because, one, when you're only resting for 45 seconds, even if you're really fucking strong, um, you won't be able to load up the weight. So it kind yeah. of limits their amount of capability of how much weight they can load by shortening the rest periods. And then for the opposite end of the scale, for someone who's a complete newbie, 45 seconds resting won't actually, it'll probably be almost too long for them. Okay. Um, because I like, oh, fucking, like, I'm, I'm ready to go again. Especially a lot of female athletes yeah. um, who are, like, as a, as a normal, like, general rule, probably used to work a lot, but females can push work a lot higher, closer to their one rep max for volume than males can. Yeah, yeah. Um, with a syndromous system. I think it's more so just because of the amount of weight on the bar. So if you get a female who's deadlifting 60 kilos and max is 80, she'd probably bust out 20 reps. If you've got a guy who's deadlifting 200 kilos and matches 220, it'd be fucking near to impossible for him yeah, to get 20 yeah. reps at 200 kilos. Does so it make yeah. sense? It's yeah. purely because of the kilograms on the bar. That's, yeah, okay. that's the main difference. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. People go, oh, you guys recover faster or respond better. It's like, maybe, but let's look at who's lifting what and weighs in kilograms because then you multiply that by total load in the whole session and then if you multiply that by sets per week multiply by load again, it could be like 50 fucking ton different, like 50, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure, yeah. 500, you know, 50,000 kilo difference in load. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the other thing. Again, not saying that I, I really bother calculating, uh, some strength coaches do, um, oh, big one for me, but yeah, training time. So another example was, you know, if you go back to the, I ran the scale, closing the comp, you're doing a powerlifting event, um, that client has to sit there for 10 minutes before the next attempt. Yeah. So getting them used to waiting 10 minutes before a set. Yeah. So it's conditioning, right? Because if they're used to being in the gym and going every three or four minutes, which is, you know, might be up to five minutes rest period between sets for strength, um, then when they're sitting in the comp waiting 10 to 15 minutes, they're going to be like, ah, oh, fuck, it's a long time. Yeah, so yeah. coaching them to do that as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I suppose as well when they come out to comp, just being able to say like, if they're not used to those long rest periods, they might start to psych themselves out when they're waiting for 10 or 15 minutes. I feel like I've cooled down too much. Yeah, like I've cooled down or whatever. Whereas if um, you're training with that longer rest time, I suppose they're just going, oh, just, yeah. just like normal. You wouldn't do it in their first program, but you'd probably do it in their last six weeks of prior to comp. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? yeah. So again, looking at that, uh, looking at when you change rest periods, usually, again, uh, this is going back to how, uh, I'm not saying it's a, the way to do it, it's just how I like to do it. So I always start, that athlete or that client off on that high rep range, lower rest period. And then as I start to drop the reps, I increase the rest. Okay. Yeah. So first phase might be 45 seconds at 15 reps for X amount of sets at X amount of exercises. Second program might be 10 to 12 reps with 60 seconds rest in between at X amount of sets and reps. Sorry, at X amount of sets and exercises. Yeah. 
And then from there, so again, keeping an average of four to six weeks on each program, you know they're going to progress. Uh, they're going to get that, that peak around that six week point. Um, most people will start you know, noticing maybe a drop off in intensity or drop off in results coming from program about four, four weeks. Yeah. Um, some people up six weeks. That's the usual rule that I recommend changing programs. Um, so that's second phase done. We're 60 seconds, 10 to 12. And again, we're trying to get stronger and build some muscle. Yeah. Then I'm going to go down to 10 to eight reps at maybe 90 seconds rest. Yeah. And then the phase after that, so that's already say 12 to 16 weeks worth of programming. Yeah. We go down to the next phase, which could be another four weeks or six weeks, which would be 20 to 24 weeks of thereabouts of programming. Um, then, so we're at 90 seconds at uh, eight to 10. Yeah, eight to 10. Yeah, yeah. And then we drop down to say five to sixes at two minutes rest yep. or 120. Yeah. And then the next phase, again, if they're going for, I wouldn't go this, I wouldn't use this unless they're doing, you know, they wanted to get 1RMs and like increase their 1RM strength. Then the next phase, I'd go down to like a 3 2 1 method. So, you know, weight loading. So it could be uh, in one set, in one exercise, you do three reps, rest, uh, and then two reps, rest, and then one rep, rest, and then repeat the weight. Um, so in that one there, that's when I'll start programming five minute rest periods because I hit those heavy singles. And yeah. by then they're already almost you know, 24 to 30 weeks into a training phase. So that's yeah. over six months worth of training to progress them down to be able to allow them to rest for five minutes and hit those singles. Does that yeah, make sense? Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so you sort of, um, as you get like deeper into the, um, the training period, that's when you sort of start to yeah. take down those rest periods a bit. And yeah. And like that's what I use for most clients to get them to peak for things. Um, yeah. A lot of people come in that you know generally quite strong and they might have done you know, heavy singles before. I'm like, cool, let's take uh, let's take 20 weeks, and I, I call it a general body preparedness phase. And I say I'm going to work in this degree, yeah, or this progression for the next 20 weeks before we actually go into goal specifics in your programming. So if they come in here like I want to hit my lower max, I wouldn't go straight to month six or phase yeah. four or five and go, cool, we're doing five through ones now. Um, every time I've done that, I've injured a client. Yeah, okay. And an injured client, one, won't pay you. Yeah. And two, won't train. And three, um, it gives you a bad name. Yeah. Uh, and I've done this from experience. It's just like, I've gone, this client's actually really strong. And I've ignored the fact they need structural balance work and they need to actually work a higher rep range. Looked at their list and thought, this guy's actually pretty strong. You can like, you know, squat 140 quite comfortably for reps, or you can deadlift 180 quite a few times. Like, happy days, let's just get him straight on a um, five to six rep range and he's fucking sick. Yeah. Because he hasn't had that, like, he's been doing that because, you know, most strength guys who are quite strong, they've been doing those rep ranges for so long, then when they have a structured program that's pushing the intensity even higher, their risk of injury becomes even more. Yeah. Again, this can come down to coaching and your style of coaching, whether online or in person, how you explain it to them, there's lots of variables, please understand that. But they would really benefit from going for a structural balance phase with a hitting 15, 20 reps on a split squat, which is essentially a single leg squat. Yeah. Um, that's going to cross over well to structural balance for um, barbell squats, or even like a dumbbell dip, or a single leg dip, a Romanian dip, or things like that, so straightening out those where you work in a lot of those smaller muscle groups that wouldn't usually get worked in those lower rep ranges. Because again, we know 
small muscle groups, let's say like shoulders, calves, um, arms, um, things like that, they respond better to higher volume because it is a small muscle group. Right? Yeah. They can't handle as big a weight, so they need more total volume, which is what the reps combined over sets is, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, okay. So reps times weight times sets is what's gonna give you your total volume. And that's kind of the thought process you gotta have when you're programming for um, different approaches. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense? Cool. Any questions on that? Um, no, I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah, that's Easy. good. But yeah, that's, uh, that's what I look at. Um, again, this is for most people listening and for you, so it's just common knowledge, but it's good to know a structure and which way you can use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Cool. Um, does that cover that about rest times? Yeah, that's all good. Cool, cool. Um, how to program, so this is actually, this is cool too. You gotta look at rest times is how quickly can that person recover, not just from the exercise, but also days of training. So that's important too. Knowing when to vary, like I, I'm a very structured person, so I like my programs to be the same sort of rep ranges, same sort of rest periods every single day throughout the week. Yeah. Um, very rarely, and again, this would depend on the goal, but very rarely will I give them different rep ranges for different days and different things. So the only time I'll do that is when I give them heavy light days, heavy moderate light days. Yeah, so okay. uh, especially for strength athletes, because you can't go, you can't go balls to the wall every session. So for one day of the week, this is, again, this is going towards the back end of goal specifics. But when you look at a program, you'll go, so the heavy uh, deadlift day might be three to one method or you know, heavy singles for five, six sets of singles. Yeah. Um, then the second deadlift day, might be like, um, as an example, it might be six to six eight reps. Yeah. Or it could be like four to five, depending on yeah, all that goals for that person. So, judging on that, obviously, not going to pull as much load on those days, and this is where you go down and go, cool, I just want you to focus purely on technique. It's not so much trying to focus on shifting the most amount of weight. I want yeah. you to make a lighter weight feel harder and slowing everything down on that day. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, it depends. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Any other questions on that? Um, no, that's all good. Yeah, so even if you're doing like those two deadlift days in uh, one week of training, you'd have one that's more intense and then you'd have the other one more just technique focus and then just drop the intensity a bit for it? Or? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And this is another thing too you can look at is when you start getting to more advanced, especially strength methods, where you do like a two, four, six, eight giant set. So giant sets are big, Great for muscle hypertrophy and for strength endurance. Yeah. So, uh, especially if you've got an athlete you want to move up in weight class and you want to build some size and some strength, this is where giant set training comes into play. So, you can use it for strength on the lower end of the rep range. So, let's say, a uh, favorite of mine, me and Max both use this, uh, it would be without any rest in between until you get to the last exercise. So, it'd be front squats for two reps, and two reps pretty much close to your 90% mark on your two rep max. Yeah. Straight into a back squat for four reps. Yeah. Straight into a dumbbell or barbell lunge for six reps each leg. And then it could be into like a heavy leg press for like eight. So you're hitting that same muscle group, but really fucking heavy every single time. Yeah. Yes, these programs are more taxing, but for strong athletes, uh, especially athletes that you really want to push the limits of, uh, especially, uh, actually, probably the most common one you'd use it for, you can use it for natural athletes, but you remember, programming for a natural athlete and enhanced athlete are two different things. So, yeah. enhanced athlete just means that they're using performance enhancements or steroids and things like that. Then you look at 
which one can, which one's going to recover more from? Obviously, the hard stuff is going to recover better from it. So that's where programs like that um, work really well for. Yeah. So pushing that mode. And so now, if we switch that to a hypertrophy sense, giant set training. Yeah. Again, you don't have to do this type of rep range, but uh, it could be a let's say use chest for example, and build some size and strength for the chest or increase bench press. I actually used this method years ago for to get my chest size up and bench press up. But so it'd be um, you go flat barbell bench press with slow eccentric for five to six reps. Yeah. Straight into a incline dumbbell press six to eight. Straight into a cable chest fly for eight to ten. Yeah. And then straight into a dumbbell fly or a flat dumbbell press or push up or something else, some other chest exercise for 12 to 15. Yeah. So that's the that's the same sort of method where you're using those ascending sets to increase hypertrophy, one for strength, one for hypertrophy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So two different athletes would respond differently to that. Yeah. Um, and again, two different muscle fiber types respond differently to that. Yeah, cool. And so um, if you're going for the hypertrophy one, would you almost make the, um, well not easy, but the exercise that you do as they progress, which you do them a bit less taxing. So you're starting like a flat bench and then you're ending up like a, like a dumbbell fly. It's a bit- <laughs> Yeah, so you're working down because as you fatigue, form will always be sub-ball, yeah, sub-maximal, yeah. sorry, sub-maximal. So uh, when you're working down into that range of fatigue, you wouldn't want the last set to be barbell bench press because you're gonna push further. Yeah. Like you, if you, and the thing I say is that if you're on that last exercise and you did 15 reps and you could go another five, there's no way, there's no way any of those were hard enough. Yeah. Like it should be an absolute fucking grind. There should be so much blood in that muscle. And even when you do it in a strength sense, if you go from two 90% front squats into four back squats, um, which evens out to be about 90% of your back squat too, um, for four reps, the quads will be fucking on fire. Yeah. Like everything's gonna be burning, you get straight into lunges and you get straight into heavy leg press. Yeah. Those those lunges you can fail on quite easily. Yeah. Um, and the leg press you can fail on quite easily, just wrap it up, right? Yeah, yeah. Just make sure you're safe yeah. things. But the front squats and the back squats, you don't generally want to hit failure on. Um, yeah. So yeah, it also comes down to safety of the athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So when you're programming, you are looking from going from those uh, compound lifts down to the isolation lifts. Yeah. Or the, yeah. Or the the multi-joint lifts down to the single joint lifts. If that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I was trying to, yeah. trying to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I'm and probably then, just going a bit more in depth than usual just because obviously we're recording it as well, so yeah. for other people listening, we'll just work out as much as we can. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then could you also do like cluster sets or something as well in there? Yeah, clusters, so they're another great method for like strength athletes and for hypertrophy as well. Yeah. So if you're, Use a weight, and again, don't probably on this percentages, but if you use a weight that you can do uh, five reps, or 10 reps heavy four, yeah. and then you go, all right, we're gonna do four sets of five with 20 seconds in between. Yeah. So you're essentially doing 20 reps in total at a weight that you generally can, like, yeah, you can yeah. usually do 10 for. 10, so yeah. that's the that's general rule. And different, different coaches will use different methods and percentages for it. They'll probably more clued up. It's not something I use a great deal of. Like we've done previously for hypertrophy, it fucking cooks you yeah. like so. You get some mad pump, but yeah, that's another good one to do to also keep that strength endurance and help increase. Uh, so <clears throat> another big one too is lactic acid tolerance. Yeah. So how well people can handle lactic acid, um, which again, it's 
it's a physical in a physical sense, but I mean also in a mental sense. People start feeling the pain of an exercise and a muscle and then freak out. So we know if you're a coach, uh, you know, you're a good coach, you'll know that pushing people through lower back muscle pain is a good thing. Don't back off when I say that my lower back's hurting because it's burning. And it's like, well, was it nerve pain or muscle pain? So the difference between nerve pain is like a toothache, you bite down on your tooth and your butt shoots pain all through your body, yeah. compared to like when you're doing a bicep curl and your bicep's fucking on fire. Yeah, so yeah. that's the difference. So lactic acid buildup and tolerance is something that's also coachable and knowing to push for a rep radius. So when you're doing these giant sets or cluster sets, the, the smaller muscle groups are gonna get very fucking heavy. Yeah, they're, they're, they're gonna get very inflamed. Um, it's gonna be a lot of lactic acid buildup. There's gonna be a lot of pain receptors going, there's gonna be a lot going on, right? And there's gonna be a lot of signals going to your brain and going fucking stop. Yeah. But learning when to push through that and when to coach people to push through that is also scary. So yeah. knowing that as well. Yeah. How to program volume for each muscle group, particularly lagging areas. Cool. Fucking Melton. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good question. So one of your questions there was how to program volume for each muscle group, particularly lagging areas. So let's give, give me an example of a muscle group that can be lagging. Calves. Calves, yeah, fucking Melton. Yeah. Make them melt. Yeah. To the point they can recover from work. Yeah. So there's no point in training every day and making them fall off because they're not going to recover from it. But when you do train them, and again, when I say make them melt, I mean hit them so hard that every single rep you do, you feel at maximum intensity. That's the best way to hit them. Yeah. So calves are, calves are a good one, uh, as an example. Is, uh, and it's something my coach taught me well, is I'm saying you've got to take that stretch reflex out of the Achilles because Achilles has probably the most amount yeah. of like, stretch and load for it that bounces out. So when you see people on a calf machine or calf seat, calf raise or sand calf, they usually bounce out of the bottom. So it lets yeah. that Achilles tendon do the work instead of the actual calf muscle itself. Yeah. Um, so when you look at that, you want to take away that load, which is usually about a two to three second load, uh, stretch hold before yeah. the contraction. And you can do this at the top and bottom. So anyone listening that struggle, struggling to get people to train carbs well, every single rep they do, and this is this regardless of the exercise, actually this is something I love doing, but programming um, tempo is a big thing. And pauses, yeah, pauses and tempos are a big one. So uh, if you don't know what tempo is, it's just the speed of the movement and knowing that you can put pause at the top, you can put pause at the bottom, you can pause at the hard way. And the whole reason for these pauses is to increase muscle tension at that point. So if we break down a deadlift, I know we're going from calves to deadlift, we could go down to a deadlift and go, all right, so that person bounces off the ground every single rep. Yeah. It's because of shit coming off the ground. Or if they're benching, like, oh, let's hit a heavy bench, and they bounce every rep off the chest, it's because of shit holding at the bottom. It just means I'm not strong in that point. So I like to use anywhere between uh, five to 20 second holds at points where people are struggling. So this is, again, more of an advanced method as I start going through different training phases. But if they're really struggling with their bench press, I'll get them to do five, five by five with a five second pause on the chest. And when I say pause, I don't mean just resting it on the chest, I mean holding maximum tension every single second trying to squeeze more out of the lats. It's very fucking fatiguing. You probably only use about 40 to 30% of your one rep maximum. Yeah. For an athlete who has not had four. Yeah. Uh, another one is just slow eccentric, so uh, that's another one I like programming. Again, more advanced programming, but really slow eccentric. So 
Squats and deadlifts, anywhere between 20, 10 to 20 seconds slow eccentric is a good one to iron out sticking points. Yeah. And another one that I've used, uh, I'll use frequently is triple pauses in different points. So this is a good one for bench, uh, squat and deadlift actually. I love using it for them. And so a triple pause can be either up or down, depending on, again, where their weak point is. But um, understand that the reason why you add these pauses is to increase, increase that person's knowledge of what muscles should be locked on at that point of lift. So if we look at the deadlift, right? So at the very bottom of there, one of the things that should be locked on is lower abdominals, lats, and load up for the hamstrings and yeah. glutes. Quads, pretty much everything locked on nice and tight. Triceps as well. Most people miss most of those and just focus on one. They're just like, fucking hamstrings tight, pull. Yeah. Oh, they're like, triceps tight, and they forget about the lats, or they forget about their abdominal. So getting people to pause on the ground and hold maximum tension, so only about five, so you can call it a hover deadlift or pause deadlift, where you're holding about 10, 20% of that weight um, just above the ground before you lift. Um, that really helps them get tension there. And another point is like the mid-shin. So we look at sticking points on people's lifts where they yep. break them down, so, and that's when you want to go, all right, we want to get them to hold just below that sticking point. Because there's a muscle failing just below that sticking point that's unable to activate to get them to pull through. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So right at that sticking point, if you do it right on the sticking point, generally they're gonna cheat and come just above it. Yeah, okay. So this is why doing it an inch below is good. Yeah. Uh, so if you look at Thran, uh, one of my clients, um, his sticking point for his deadlift is at his knee. So I've got him practicing now uh, doing rack pulls at just below knee, and holding it there. And same with his pauses, again, his pauses are just below knee too. So the tension comes from there, and he's able to apply that acceleration, which is another good point in coaching, is accelerating through that sticking point, uh, and learning which muscles should be really switched on at that point. Yeah, okay. Max is a big one. Um, again, if you don't know who Max McCause, go check him out. Uh, probably one of the best strength coaches in Australia. Um, He's a big one for using pauses only on eccentrics to increase acceleration on the contraction so it doesn't slow down the movement speed when actually performing. Yeah, okay. So if you think about it, and this is his methodology, and it, it makes 100% sense, again, it just fucking sucks when you do it, um, is if you're pausing on your squat coming up, it's teaching the body to slow down at a point and then increase acceleration which doesn't translate well across to absolute one rep max strength and you need to accelerate that bar from the bottom to the top as fast as fucking possible. So it's getting yeah. the point, it's getting your body to hold and it's teaching those neural part, sorry, <clears throat> it's creating those neural pathways from the brain to the muscle to pause at a point and then accelerate. Which when you want a, a, a movement that does not stop, um, those pathways have to also be retrained. So he's a big one for pausing on the way down at a second point so it increases muscle tension at that point, and that person knows which muscle should be on because you're physically going to hold it in an yeah. isometric hold. So yeah. a pause is just an isometric hold, right? So isometric hold on those muscles that need to be activated in that point, and then he'll drop into a squat and then full speed out of it. So yeah, okay. that's another method. Very good method, I must say. Yeah. So it's like almost doing the, so you're pausing at like, almost at the opposite, opposite side of where your sticking point is. Yeah, you'd still pause. So if you fail to score it halfway, you'll pause either directly above it or directly below it, 
depending on which way um, is going to create the, the, the most resistance. Yeah. That makes sense. But, yeah. if, but if you're failing at like, yeah, so when you're um, coming up, you're going to train it as you're like on the eccentric phase of the squat. That's when you put the pause in rather than doing it on the way up. But what's the question? Sorry, lost me. <laughs> so what you're saying, how Max does with the yeah. like eccentric pause, if on a squat you're failing like just just before halfway, yeah. obviously it's going to be when you're coming up. Would you put that pause in? Just below halfway. Just below halfway? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because you want to pretty much hold right at that point. If you do it at, at halfway or above, they'll cheat and do it way above because it's too yeah. hard. So you need the most resistance in that yeah. point. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So where it was really fucking hard, make a mistake there. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it sucks. But that's the whole reason we do it. Because, uh, and again, like there's evidence to back this up, but it's those neurological pathways you're trying to create to that muscle to have the most amount of switch off in your genetic nervous system of muscle recruitment, muscle fiber recruitment, and cells and everything fucking firing that you want uh, to, to make that bar speed move because yeah, okay. speed is strength. Yeah. 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 The faster you can move a the faster you can move a heavy load, the stronger you are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Alright, what else you got? Cool, cool. Muscle groups. Yep, sweet. Alright, what else you got? Um I was I was thinking that's like before, I wouldn't remember what it was. <laughs> so about programming or um Yeah. It, hmm. It might have been oh size variation maybe or well, what was that? Exercise variations. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, from, yeah, for like muscle groups as well, for like lagging areas, would you program different sort of like, I suppose like a chest, would you be programming like flat incline benching and stuff, like just hitting the muscle it's, groups with different sort it's of with a leg. Like yeah. uh, most, most powerlifters have a shit upper pec development. Yeah. Most bodybuilders have a shit lower body. I'm sorry, not mold pec, but they, they generally have quite a large upper pec development yeah. um, and not as strong lower pec development or mid pec. Yeah. So you can split the pec up into three parts. So lower, middle, upper. Yeah. And this will depend on hand position and elbow position when doing exercises. So yeah, okay. if you're if pretty much wherever your hand and elbow in line with across your chest, is where you're going to feel it. So let's use a bench press for example. Yeah. So a guillotine press on a bench press is we'd be bringing the bar down to just on top or just below yeah. the actual collarbone or um, clavicle. So if you bring it down to there, you're going to hit that anterior delta pec minor and upper pec. Yeah. Okay. So regardless of the incline on bench or flat uh, or whatever. So, and if you do a, um, just like pretty much a mid, uh, what do you call it? So just above or on that mid part of the chest press, press into there, you're going to hit that. If you're in a powder exercise and you get right under the bar and the bar is coming below the pecs, you're going to hit the arm under the pec. That make sense? Yeah, okay. So, yes, bench height can make a difference, but also elbow and hand position can make a difference as well. And this is the same for flies. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and I suppose just, yeah, with different, um, yeah, even with calves again, you'd be doing like standing, seated. Um, like donkey calf raise, we just put in heaps of variations to 
help? Depends. So the shorter heavy, gastrocnemius, what do we call it? Shorter heavy calves when you're working your seated position, and yep. then the longer, again, kind of quote me on the name, um, the longer heavy calves are going to be worked in the uh, full extension of your yeah, yeah. leg, if that makes sense. So yep. standing calf raises. And that's all going to depend on where they're weaker. So weaker on that short head, um, yep. then you want to hit that more seated. If they're short, if they're you know, weaker or less muscle on the longer head, then you want to hit the standing. Make sense? Yeah. So yep. cool. exercise selection for the right areas in the muscle. So if you have a muscle, so the long head, short head, biceps, same sort of thing. So if the arm is extended out in front of you or you know above horizontal from the body, um, then it's going to hit that longer head where if it's straight down, you know, running parallel with the body, yeah. and then you're going to hit the longer head. Make yeah, sense? Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. So understanding exercise selection and which muscles you're trying to hit are important to. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Cool. Yeah. Um, so one for one people, one thing I fucking that honestly, people seem to be fucking shit at is hamstring development. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, it's stupid. Uh, but understand how to target the different heads in the hamstring. So bringing your feet in nice and close, and when you're doing a hamstring exercise, it's going to hit that inner part of your hamstring. Bring your feet out nice and wide, it's going to hit the outer part of your hamstring. I'm not saying that all don't work, but depending on which one the person's weaker and which yeah. one they're trying to increase strength or hypertrophy, especially for physique, uh, when you're trying to lead out someone's hamstrings, is you've got to look at which head are they weaker at and which one can't you see working, um, yeah, okay. which will relate across loss. A lot across to uh, where they're feeling the exercise as well. Okay. So if you get them to do a hamstring curl and they're like, ah, oh, I just feel like the calves, it's like, fuck, so it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what's going on? It's yeah. piss, probably piss weak, again, depending on the foot position and the width. So you can bring the feet right in close to the inner part of the hamstring, out nice wide outer. But yeah. again, and this is another thing, if their calves are really piss weak or more like the tendons that run on top of the calves with the hamstrings, uh, if they're really weak and not used to load, then they're gonna feel it through there before they feel like their hamstring they might actually have really strong hamstrings. Yeah. So it always depends. Make sense? Yeah. 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 And there's that work with like your quads as well, like the different foot position. Yeah. Is that yeah. like so that closer in would be more? Yeah. So yes, yeah, and then outer, depending on where again, also foot position, but also stance position as well. Yeah. Um, the thing about quads though is when you load them, especially on like a leg press. Uh, leg session not so bad, but anything we got spinal and hip loading, so like leg press, uh, barbell squats, things like that, is it all depends on how that femur sits in the socket on top of the hip. Okay. All right. So different people's uh, hip socket depth is going to determine which position they can get in comfortably with those quads. Some people are really fucking gifted and have great hip mobility in their hips. Actually, you know, they sit in quite shallow, so yeah. they got really good mobility. If you've got really deep sockets then you're not gonna have great mobility in every foot position range. Make sense? Yeah, okay. And like, if you use extremes, you're in a sewer stance uh, compared to a close grip, sorry, a close stance dip lift. Yeah. That's probably the best way to see how someone, how much hip mobility they have. It's because someone who's got an inch show sockets are generally gonna have great mobility in both. They can just get in position yeah. really easily. And that also comes down to femur length, and tibia length, and torso length as well, so, and yeah. arm length. So, knowing those two variables, three, four variables as well helps. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Anything else? Um, no, that's sort of all I've 
thing of at the moment off the top of my head. Yeah. So yeah, just go back over it. So the first thing is, what is the person's goal? Yeah. Training age and training quality, or yeah. exercise execution. So that's like one. that's like sort of like king at the end. Is it just look at like goals, experience, and then there's yeah. sort of skill, skill level. Skill. The skill level they are lifting. Yeah. That's that's fucking huge. Yeah. And then we look at weak points and sticking points and things like that. Yeah. Like it, like I used to get people to do a full build up to a full like 80-90% one rep max on a fucking squat when I was testing their strength testing if they were a strong dude. But now I'm more like, all right, let's have, see how good your single leg strength. I'm like, I can squat 180 quite comfortably. I'm like, cool, all right, let's see how your single leg strength is. Just basic split squat. If I'm falling all over the place, then fucking you're doing split squats instead of other squats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not something you have to do. Um, I used to get drilled into me where I used to, I got taught a lot about programming, especially the Charles Pollock method is everyone does a front foot elevator split squat and everyone does a fucking trap three range. I mean, they have their place, but are they be or end or? No. Um, it's whatever works well for that person. Whatever you feel, honestly, whatever you feel most comfortable coaching. Yeah. There's no point giving you know everyone uh, similar exercise if you don't know how to coach them. So knowing how to coach them is important too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that's all good. That's all good. Yeah. Awesome. Thank all right. Thanks for tuning in, crew. All right. All right, guys. So this is if you're tuning into this video, uh, we're doing a.